This ESV Bible says the Lord is in his holy temple to the choir master of David. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let us pray. Lord, help us now as your people sitting here, hearing your word. Help us to receive the teaching that you would have us to receive and to understand and to apply faithfully to our lives. And I pray that you would help this feeble preacher for your glory. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, here it is. It is better to make God our refuge than to cave in to fear. That's it. It is better to make God our refuge than to cave in to fear. Now, you might be saying, well, okay, we know that. Let's just go home. Um, Yeah, that's right. We do know that. And so why is it that we so frequently cave in to fear? Why is it that when we look at our checkbook balance, we get panicky? Or when we go to the doctor and we get a little funny uh, report back from the lab on something, we get squeamish. Uh, Why is it that we look at our children who may be uh, not the cuddly little guys that we remember, but they're growing up into something we don't recognize anymore? Why is it that we panic in times like that? Uh, Why is it that when our society looks like things are falling apart and we listen to the media and to the news and all the news sounds worse than the day before, Uh, Why is it that when all of these things occur, we tend not to do what we're talking about doing, which is making God a refuge? Now, this psalm that we have before us is a very good one to be looking at when it comes to this question. Uh, Like all of Scripture and all of the psalms, there's always a kind of a two-pole thing going here. It's always about two kinds of people. Uh, It's always about two kinds of uh, ways in which people live that are diametrically opposed. And that theme of of the chaff and the wheat, the comparison of the the strong tree that's a godly tree that's grounded, and then on the other side, the wasted, useless chaff that's blown around by the wind. Always through Scripture, always seeing these two, these two themes going at the same time. And so it is here. 
And here we have these two themes going. The man who makes God or the woman who makes God his or her refuge and the one who caves in and panics and gets desperate and screaming and throwing dust in the air, I suppose. So my affirmation is that it is better to make God our refuge than to cave in to fear. And if you would like to know the rest of the story, I will give you four reasons why it is better that we make God a refuge than that we cave in to fear. Number one. Number one, because if you make God your refuge, you will not be led astray by bad advice. Now, notice in this passage, the first three verses are a very long, convoluted, complicated, complex sentence that sometimes if you don't pay attention to the grammar marks, you're kind of wondering what he's talking about. But as I read this, these first three verses, uh, David, who makes this statement, he says, in the Lord, I take refuge. That's his, that's his affirmation. That's his claim. That's his statement. Here's where I stand. In the Lord, I take refuge. And now he's talking to somebody or some people, and he says, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright and hardy. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So somebody has come to David and has thrown this, this, this whole situation, this whole scenario at him. And, 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 and it sounds like what this, these advisors or this advisor is saying to David is, look, things are terrible. You need to get out of here. You need to escape. You need to flee. Go for it. Run while you still have time because you're in danger. This whole, this whole picture of, of some wicked person or persons who are in the dark or in perhaps as some of the translations say, they're in the shadows and they're shooting arrows at you. So here you can picture the, the situation that would be is David would be out in the light and somebody back in the shadows that he can't see is shooting arrows or getting ready to shoot arrows at him. Uh, this is a scary thought. It certainly is. It's bad enough when you see a problem coming, but it's harder when you don't know where it's coming from. Uh, another uh, picture that is drawn here for us is the idea that foundations are being destroyed. Things are crumbling. And, and, and if, if everything comes crashing down, what, what is there left to do? What can you do except run? Run for your life. And David says, I, I take, in the Lord I take refuge, or I have taken refuge. And this is what his position is. So my point here is that good people can give you bad advice. I don't think these advisors were particularly against David at all. They were just simply trying to give him, they wanted him to be okay. They wanted him to get to be in a safe place. And David saw through this, and in his understanding, he said, what you're asking me to do is to renounce the fact that I put my refuge, I have taken refuge in God. I am trusting in the Lord. I am trusting in Him, and I am secure that He will see me through this. So 
We don't really know exactly the circumstances of the psalm. You could speculate that this was a time when David was running from Saul. You could say it might be the time that David was trying to get away from Absalom. Uh, but it might not have been any of those situations. It might even have been a hypothetical scenario where David was just, things were not going well and he was in a bind. And this is the advice that he was given. So if you think about it, there's often good advice given by bad, by bad people, or bad advice given by good people. Sometimes bad advice given by good people too, but, um, or, good, or bad advice given by bad people. But the point here is that you might not expect uh, people that are your friends that, that care for you to be giving you advice that would discourage you and actually send you in the wrong direction. Nevertheless, that's what David perceived, and that's what uh, he reacted to. That's what he's reacting to in verses 1 to 3. Remember Job's, Job's wife? Job's wife told him, curse God and die. Get it over with. Just end it. Um, I, I assume that Mrs. Job was a kind and loving wife, and that, that was the best way forward she could see for her husband in that situation. But that was bad advice. Fortunately, he didn't take it. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't even have ever heard of Job. Then there's Peter. And Peter, who, when Jesus announced that he was going to Jerusalem to be arrested and tried and crucified, and Peter went ballistic and he said, Oh no, Lord, that will never happen. Not over my dead body. You're not, you're not going down that road. That was bad advice from a good person. Well, I guess. He wasn't so good at that moment. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Bad advice. Now, it's important that you and I make a commitment to make God our refuge before the crisis comes. Because once it hits you, it always sneaks up. That arrow coming from the dark that's hitting you, you have to decide you don't have time to ponder this. You don't have time to sit down and, and think it out and reason it out. Am I going to trust God who says that he reigns over all things? Am I going to trust him or am I going to try to do something myself to alleviate the situation? David had settled it long before whatever happened in chapter Psalm 11, whatever happened before that, David had already settled it that he had put his trust in God. He took refuge in God. Now, we need also to think about this, and that is that you might say, well, what's wrong with fleeing to a mountain? What would be wrong in this particular case for David to do this? And I, I think it's important to realize that God has, in various situations, given people different kinds of direction. There was a case of... Um, Oh yeah, the town of Sodom and Gomorrah, where the angels came and took Lot out of that wicked place because God was going to bring fire and judgment, which you hear about here in this psalm. God was going to rain down fire and, judge, and, and uh, uh, thunder and lightning on, the, on that town and wipe them out, perhaps uh, whatever he used. But the point was that God led the, uh, through those angels, he led Lot out of that place. Sometimes God does lead us to leave. Or 
there is a situation where Jesus in his earthly ministry as he went through Galilee and Judea and so forth, there was a time where he clearly in, in the Gospels, you can see that he is not going to Jerusalem and he is not going to Jerusalem because he's not because he's afraid to go to Jerusalem, because he's going to go to Jerusalem to die. And it wasn't the right time. So what I'm not saying here is that it's never right to protect yourself, that it's never right to take a reasonable precaution. I think what the, what the psalmist is saying to us is, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? God gives us means by which he, we can accomplish certain things. But those means are, not, are only good to the degree that God gives them to us and that he blesses those. So whatever God leads us to do, that's fine, but it's never fine not to put our trust in him, not to put our complete ref, not ta to take him as our refuge completely. And I think that's what David is saying here. So if you take, if you take refuge in God, he will see you through bad advice. He will get you around bad ideas that people will give to you. Secondly, why is it more important? Or why is it better to take refuge in the Lord than to cave in to fear? Because if you take, make God your refuge, you will fulfill His purpose for your life. If you make God your refuge, you will fulfill His purpose for your life. I am struck... Uh, at my advanced age, as I hear about in the media and look at what I see in our society around us, the, uh, the tremendous lack of purpose that people seem to have in their lives. Well, they may have some purpose, but the purpose seems to be completely self-centered. What do I want? How can I get what I want? Does this thing give you joy? And if it doesn't, you need to thank it and say goodbye. <laughs> All right, because it's all about me. It's all about number one. This is the purpose or the empty purpose that we're being taught day after day through Hollywood and media of all types to make us think that that's the best you can get. That's as good as it gets in this world. It's just find something that will calm down your nerves or give you a high or get you through the night whatever it takes, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We are looking at people whose lives are completely empty and shattered and broken by the roads and paths that they've trod upon. But we, who put our refuge in the Lord, will understand that we have a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God, not ourselves. Believers as believers, we have an eternal purpose. And it's a great purpose. And it's not just a purpose that lasts in this world, but goes into eternity. And that is the purpose of lifting up the glory of God, of, of speaking His majesty. So here, David says in response, in the next line, he says in verse 4, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heavens. I don't know what concept you have of the life, uh, daily, daily lives of, of kings of Israel and Judah, but, but at least David in his, in his reign, and at the height of his reign, David lived a pretty, 
pretty neat life. Um, I'm told that he had a very nice palace in Jerusalem where he lived. But even David's palace was not a holy temple. It wasn't the holy temple of God. David could say the Lord is in his holy temple. What kind of a temple would that be? I can only imagine. But certainly it was a temple like no other because there the Lord dwells in majesty. What kind of a temple would that take for him? They thought they were building him a temple in Jerusalem, but it was a shambles compared to what that heavenly temple must have been. Now, David also had a throne in Jerusalem where he ruled, but his God, the God that he trusted, that he put as his refuge, that God had a throne in heaven. So if you make God your refuge so that you are steady no matter what the trials of life, you will show by your life that you're, and your attitude that you know a God who reigns on high, who lives in a holy temple and sits on a majestic eternal throne ruling over all things. It's an amazing thought. And David grasped this and he grasped it that shouldn't have, it may not have been easy for him to turn away from all the things that his status as king meant to him and put his ref, make God his refuge. For he understood that this symbol or this picture of a God who lives in a temple and sits on a throne means that there's a God who rules and that God rules absolutely and constantly. Now, maybe uh, you're a fan of Lord of the Rings. I am not particularly, but I will use my one opportunity per year to mention Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's this guy, Gandalf. Gandalf is the cool wizard, and he's, he's always somewhere else when you really think he should be there. He's never there. But then he does show up. Just when you think everything is going to crash and burn, he shows up. And... I'm afraid to admit to you, but I will anyway, because why not? Um, I'm sure you know I am not perfect. So I sometimes see God as, as a Gandalf kind of person. He shows up, but most of the time he's not there. Most of the time I don't know where he is. But that's not the way God is. Did you realize that Scripture tells us, so I, I think I have this on good, good uh, foundation, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Well, when, when is that happening? 24-7. Um, um, just go out and look. And, and so he is, always, he is always manifesting His glory. He is always working, all the time. And He is not just working when we notice it. I mean... Many of us could give examples of moments when we, we, we sensed God's presence some way or we felt God was near or just God somehow His Spirit was kind of telling us something. And that's great. But I'm afraid it happens very, very rarely for most of us. And we think that God hasn't been there all along. He hasn't been there when you know we weren't thinking about Him or when on other days of the week. Uh, he just shows up when we really stop and think about it, or when we really get in a bind and we cry out. 
in Psalm 121, verse 4, it says that he is the one who, that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't take off weekends. He doesn't check out and turn off his phone for you know, eight hours every night. Uh, he never slumbers. He is always there. He is always working out his perfect will. And all of his decrees will come to pass. They have come to pass. They are coming to pass. And they will come to pass. Not one thing that God wants will not happen. Not one thing that he has decreed uh, will fail to come to pass. There are no exceptions. So if you take refuge in the Lord, if you take refuge in the Lord, you will glorify your Creator and Savior who is the triune God of the Bible. And then besides that, you have a real purpose in life. A real purpose in life. So number three, why is it better to put our refuge, put our trust in God rather than to freak out and go crazy? Because if you make God your refuge, you will grow spiritually strong through God's testing. Let's see verses 4, four 5, and 6. Notice this. Uh, the, the, the psalmist tells us these words. He says, his, his eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. Now this word test is the same word that's used when metal is taken and put under heat or fire and purified so that it becomes more, more valuable. It had value, but it becomes more valuable as it is put through that testing process. This goes on with silver and gold. We, we think of the New Testament where Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you put your trust in Him, if you make God your refuge, He will take you through testing. But that testing will produce in you a quality that God loves. That is a pure love for Him, pure walk with Him, more um, Christ-likeness that He desires to develop in us as He fulfills His purpose. But on the other hand, in this same psalm, it tells us that God judges the wicked with fire. So while He tests the righteous to make them stronger and purer, He does something entirely different with the wicked. David says in verse five, the second part of verse 5, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup, which is a fire, there is a fire which consumes those who rebel against the Lord. God is working with everybody, and everybody is there before Him, before His throne, and before His temple. And He is going to either make us more like Himself if we are His, or He is going to punish us eternally. This is a severe warning for those who do not know Christ to call upon Him. 
to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near, to forsake our wicked ways and turn to him. For God has said for us to repent and to believe in the gospel. So our options are limited, but they are clear. We can seek to be found in Christ who is righteous, in Him who saves all who come to Him. We will experience trials, but these trials are designed perfectly to purify us and to grow us in holiness. And this trial, this temporary trial that we now experience, in a sense, having to part with our pastor and his family that we love. This is, a, this is something God has designed, and I told them and others that God designed a path for Tim and Nancy Martin to walk on. He also designed a path for us to walk on. And these two are compatible. These two are perfectly compatible. And we won't know that maybe until eternity, but it is true by faith. We know it is true. So our options are to follow Him, to put our trust in Him, to make Him our refuge, or the other option is to continue in the path of those who are born of Adam, of Adam's seed, those who are before God still guilty, wicked, lovers of violence, as they are described here. And they stand to experience at some point God's judgment of his wrath poured out in judgment upon them who refuse, who refuse to trust in the Lamb of God who died for the sins of his people. So there are options to take refuge in the Lord and be tested so that we grow spiritually or to refuse to take refuge in him and look for some other way to get through life and to save ourselves. But if you make God your refuge, he will make even your trials to turn out for good, everyone. And finally, number four, why is it better to put your God, make God your refuge than to cave into fear? Because if you make God your refuge, you will be assured of seeing his face. In verse seven, we read these words. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The upright shall behold his face. The greatest benefit of taking refuge in the Lord is seeing him. It is great to be freed from fear and all the other reasons that we've looked at, but ultimately we'll see him as he is. David said that the upright shall behold his face. David in one place, actually Psalm 24, 27, 4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That was what David desired more than anything else. So my friends, can you see that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to cave in to fear. It is not just a little better, it is way better in every way. So how can you know that you are taking refuge in the Lord? 
when the greatest desire of your life is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you're putting your refuge in Him. And when you love what He loves, which is righteous deeds, and you're, then you're taking refuge in the Lord. And taking refuge in the Lord is not withdrawing from life and living in seclusion. It is doing what He loves, which is righteous deeds. There are things for us to do. While we're putting our trust in Him, while we're taking refuge in Him, we're not going to be hiding in a cave someplace. We're going to be out doing what He wants us to do, seeking to use our gifts, seeking to glorify Him, seeking to, to speak His name and to lift Him up. So, my question for you is, will you cave in to fear or make God your refuge? Grace Church, we, are, we have an opportunity to learn this truth even more deeply at this time. The choice is before us. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask you for mercy and grace to truly make you our refuge every day of our lives. Let us not be blown about by opinions or advice. Let us not be confused, Lord, by what the world offers us as self-protection and purpose that's empty. Let us not be um, tricked or, or seduced by whatever the world would offer us. Let us not desire anything more, anything greater than to know you in truth and to grow in Christ-likeness, to honor you in word, thought, and deed, and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.